Welcome to Word of Truth. We're continuing our worship service where we left off, and we are now going to do the thought of the week and prayer. It is January 10th, 2021. Well, before I give the thought of the week, I would just like to touch on um, one aspect of the simple gospel, what we refer to as the simple gospel, the gospel of salvation. And I just wanted to touch on the point that salvation is a gift, that it cannot be earned. As we see in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, um, salvation is given by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, not of works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift of God. In fact, we also consider that if you work, you are basically exercising or expressing, refusing to believe that the work has already been finished on your behalf. So it's kind of like declining the gift. And I get a sense of that in Romans chapter 4. I was starting with verse 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So I think that's just something to consider when thinking about salvation. And here's the thought of the week. One disturbing trend I see in Christianity today is the sense that it has been reduced to some sort of self-help program. The message being heard is that Christianity is only for visibly broken people, broken situations, and for those at their wit's end. It can be easily dismissed by those who see themselves as essentially good people. They don't take the charity because they feel they don't need it. For them, the offer to join Christianity can easily be rejected like it was a 12-step program. They see Christianity as an option or a crutch for weak people, poor people, and those who cannot help themselves. Some do join Christian groups because they want to help the poor, not necessarily because they are lost and in need of salvation. This is not a new thought. Jesus addressed it when he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, from Luke 5, verse 31. The reality of the bad news is that everyone is sick, but some just don't realize it. Listen, I love a good turnaround story. I love to see someone who miraculously goes from rags to riches, or someone who is at the threshold of death's door, and then they recover and thrive was still someone who was strung out on drugs or alcohol and turned their life around. Great stories and saved lives. This is certainly motivational and inspiring. However, do not confuse your temporal life with your eternal destiny. Temporally, we tend to measure ourselves by ourselves. And we think there is some variance according to our soul norms and standards. Eternally speaking, we must measure ourselves by God's standard, and there are none who prevail, not even one, from Romans 3, verse 10. We all need a Savior, and that's the thought of the week. And I believe Dave will give us a prayer now. Okay, anyone have a special request for prayer? 
Well, just just for the family, yep. which which you already know about the situation. So. Also pray for a couple of co-workers, husband and wife team, that were both tested positive for COVID-19. And their daughters are taking care of them. I will be sorry. Take to the throne of grace. Dear Father, we're thankful, Lord, that you allowed us to see this Sunday, Father. We ask you, Lord, to look over those who are in need, those who are in care, Father. We ask you, we ask you Father, those... Um, that these special prayer for those who have dealing with the COVID virus, Father. We ask you to also look over those that are in need and are suffering both financially and spiritually and also healthy, Father. We pray for those who are in the hospital, Father. We ask you for you to cure the sick, Father. And we ask you, Father, to look over our church needs and also those who are in Christ universal, Father. Father, as we go through this service, Father, we ask you for a special prayer for those who can who want to see you, Lord, but don't know how, Father. So we ask you, Father, to allow the Holy Spirit to give them correction and guidance to set them in all truth. We ask you that all, all blessings in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, uh, Dwight, Dave. We appreciate the uh, managing of those. Uh, two important things. So I'd like to get right into, you know, we have uh, notes. And in your notes, I, I'm reading today's uh, 110, the continued from 13, because we still have a bit to finish from last week. In your notes, it says, um, while we may live through the disciples' foundational work for the church, they are unique. We can see the details of their calling and equipping by the Lord. We both are part of one body and members together. Imagine the opposition they had to face, not only from the world, but from the religious leaders. They lived their entire lives under Israel, under Israel and its culture. And for them, it was home. Now they are called to walk by faith to be led by the spirit of truth. All of this was very new for them. They could not depend on what was familiar, but had to depend on our Lord's testimony. His testimony was supported by signs, wonders, and miracles, of which Christ's own resurrection was the greatest witness. I can imagine many and their families had to make decisions to stand with them and with their own heritage. In all of this, God had a plan. And we are here today because of this plan. So the verse, uh, you did not choose me. This is John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last. Hang on a sec. Continuing. So, uh, where were we? So you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you uh, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So we didn't finish this last piece 
And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So we need to kind of look at some of these verses and hopefully I'm not going to review all that we covered already because we've gone quite a bit down this road and I don't, I mean, we have the notes and we have last week's recording. So in, in point number three in those notes, let's look at this. Whatever you, and so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So it's a interesting verse that is one that people would love to take out of context. And I could selfishly say, I would love to take it out of context. I mean, if that's all it is, just ask and I'll get whatever, then I'm sure that will work out fine. I mean, I would love to, you know, just ask for whatever I need, whether it's money or house, a new boat, uh, we could just dream of things that we could ask for. But this is not that kind of question. And it's not about that at all. So that's why we want to go through, which we have in the past, looked at these types of verses, and we've come to understanding that there are conditions. So we'll go through what this verse means, even though we've covered this already in John 14 and in a previous verse here in 15. So we can know that it does not, it's not a, you know, God telling you just ask anything you want and it doesn't matter what it is, I'll give it to you. There are conditions. So we, we notice what those were. So let's look at the first point. All the members of the Trinity are focused on the Father's eternal plan. Now, this new entity is called church. Hang on a sec. Resuming. So where we are is we, we are focused on point A here in our notes. All the members of the Trinity are focused on the Father's eternal plan. Now, this new entity is called church, that is, that is called the church, has the same mission on the ground. So imagine that the church was born in eternity past, wherein there was no creation. God had a plan. Part of that plan was to bring the church into existence. And that's exactly what we see when we look at the church. We see God's eternal plan coming into focus. And not only that, but it, being able to see his eternal plan is, you know, part of it being realized actually on the ground. So, in theory, God thought about all of what he wanted he executed it by creation, but it wasn't until Pentecost and that baptism of the Spirit came that people who God had chose in Christ actually came on the scene. So this church now that we have, uh, the mission is no different for us. <clears throat> it is for us to fulfill God's eternal purpose, just like the Father just like the Son, just like the Holy Spirit. It is our objective, the church's objective, to, to be that church, to fulfill that plan. Let's keep going. And, and point B, it says, and so, whatever you ask. So this and so, whatever you ask, the church is on the battlefield. right? This is 
we're on the ground. And God is saying, when, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, right? This is about us being successful on the battlefield. Us being, uh, you know, if whatever battlefield prayer there is. If you're in danger, if you fear, you ask. And you know, I have uh, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 here. And what that is, is to, just a verse to show, I think, what it is like to be on the battlefield. What is it like? Ephesians 6, 18 through 20 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So this is what I call battlefield prayer. And this makes sense. You be alert, you know, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers, not just one type of prayer, but whatever the situation presents, pray. Whenever you feel you need, uh, you know, you, you, you have anxiety or you don't know, you're not certain, you're afraid, pray. That's what he's saying, whatever the circumstance may be. And then verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be, may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So, so there Paul is saying that... Uh, He's on the front line here. Pray for me. He's asking for prayer. So, so that he will have not only the courage, but the proper words to speak so that when he stands in front of people, he can fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. It's not just the gospel, but it is the mystery of the gospel. Hang on a second. Resuming. And sorry for the interruptions, but this happens from time to time. So where were we? We were in point number three, and uh, as we were mentioning, the church is on the battlefield. And we were trying to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and we were looking at verse 18 through 20. So verse 19, pray also for me that whenever I speak, Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. So Paul's objective is when he stands in front of people, not just the gospel, but the mystery of the gospel, what we are called to in this particular age. So it, it, it takes the gospel to bring us into uh, you know, salvation, but that also brings us into Christ. And Paul here is a minister of reconciliation. So that's the mystery of the gospel. And then he says, For which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So this, for which I am an ambassador in change, says Paul's in jail when he writes this. So he, just to note the suffering that goes on as a result of uh, the stance that he's taken for Christ. Not only is he a believer, but he's a believer who has infuriated the Jewish world because they wanted him to preach the Mosaic Law, as he did when he was a Pharisee. But he has repudiated 
uh, Judaism, and now is an apostle for the church. So it's, it's uh, kind of interesting to think about Paul in this role. And he's saying, pray. And that's the whole idea. Uh, but our prayers, as we said, there are, con- there are conditions to what he's asking. right? Or we want to fulfill the Father's plan. So whatever we ask in accordance to that, in accordance with the Father's plan, of course, God's going to answer it because that's why we're here in the first place. So let's keep going. And this is 3C now. Christ said earlier in the context, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That's John 14, 13 and 14. We covered this, but just as a quick read, uh, let's look at it one more time. 13, uh, 14, and 13 and 14 say, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So that is to say that the Father uh, is pleased, right? He's the one who's glorified through the obedience of the Son. And he says, you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, why wouldn't he do it? I mean, really, why would he not do it if that is the Father's eternal purpose? But our asking must be in accordance with that. Now, of course, we already read scriptures in James that says, well, we may ask with the wrong motives. We may ask amiss. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, just because we ask something, that God will do it. God's not a slot machine that we put in whatever request we have and pull out whatever blessings we want. That's not it. God has a plan. He's a person who does. So that's part of how we, we ought to see it, that, he, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So he has turned everything over to the Son so that now as the, the Son executes the Father's plan, the Father's glorified, and what about us? Well, we can, we're on the ground now, so ask whatever you want. Just like uh, we saw earlier, battlefield prayer. So also point D, and so, right? And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So point E, notice, we, we could say whatever you ask, and notice it's according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's how we have to look at that. Um, that and so point says that it is according to the Father's plan. Right? Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And that is, that's part of, uh, when we think about it, it ties both things together. It ties our asking with the Father's plan. And I think I wrote it this way. For sure, this ties their asking to the appointment as the disciples and apostles. Remember, he called them, he appointed them, and their appointment enables them to serve uh, an important purpose for the Father, which is to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So we're right back to the analogy of fruit bearing, which um, we saw earlier in John 15 where the father is the gardener, the one who planted the vineyard. So whatever uh, he wanted, now we're thinking grapes, but whatever fruit the father wanted, 
is what exactly will be born through, if it, if the vine and all of the, what the Father wanted comes through. So it's the Father's plan. That's why when we think about uh, our asking, it is tied to that. And that one and so, which is that purpose clause, says that uh, whatever we ask... Uh, it is for that, for the purpose of us bearing fruit and fruit that will last, and that ties us back uh, to the Father's plan. So we have that as a thought. Point E: Whatever you ask according to the Father's eternal purpose, right, that's that's how we always have to look at this. We're here on the ground. I mean, think about God, the Holy Spirit, for a second. I mean, He prays for us, and do you think that there is some prayer? that the Holy Spirit will pray for us that will not be answered? Will God fail to answer the prayers that the Holy Spirit prays for us? Right? He says we don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans uh, to the Father, which cannot be spoken. So when he does that, he's praying, he's interceding on our behalf, does the Father say no to the Holy Spirit? No, because the Holy Spirit is directly in line with the Father's eternal plan. That, that prayer can never go unanswered. There's no occasion where God the Father will say to the Spirit, no, uh, not, not going to give him that. He, they're asking for this, or you're praying for that, but I'm not going to answer it. So, when we see statements like this, it's like if Jesus prayed for us, he's also interceding for us. Do you think the Father would not answer his prayer? So when you're in line with the Father's eternal purpose, when you see it and you're working toward that in your life, on the battlefield, it's, there's no chance that the Father will not answer your prayer. Where, you, where he will tell you, no, that is not something that I will do. He will do it because it is in his best interest, the best interest of the Son and the best interest of the Spirit. They're all trying to accomplish that purpose. The same, they're on the same uh, plan from eternity past. So that's, that's how we have to look at our lives. Everything we do, everything we are, is because of the Father's eternal purpose. That's the reason why we're here. Point F. Our asking will not only be our will, this is another thought, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. So think about it. Uh, our will have, must be merged with His will in order for us to be able to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. His good purpose is the Father's eternal purpose. Right? That's when we think about what is God's good, what is he trying to accomplish here? Is he just here to bless us? Is he just here to fill um, everything, that, whatever desire, whatever we ever had? No, his goal is a purpose. Now, it just happens, so happens, that his purpose is fantastically uh, phenomenal for us. <laughs> the blessing that we get. Like he says, you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. We've been blessed. But it is not because we asked for it. It's because this is because he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So, so as we ask, know that God the Holy Spirit is working with our will so that it, it is in line with his will, which is also in turn in line to fulfill God's good purpose. So hopefully um, we shouldn't be looking at scriptures and saying, I'm claiming the scripture, it says it here. And that's, you know, how we proceed. We should be understanding these scriptures to say, uh, as you are on the battlefield, the Father will certainly do whatever you ask according to his will. He will certainly, most certainly. So we're moving forward. And our, this is a short verse, um, John fifteen seventeen. This is my command love each other uh, and I, of all the things this is in your notes of all the things that needed emphasis before his departure love each other was important in the mind of Christ as the church forms there could be danger of fragmentation Satan would certainly be on high alert and the main one to seek the church's destruction he would attack the church externally and internally. As we think about our calling and the detail of God choosing us to be in Christ, we must also realize, as we look horizontally, there are other believers with the same privilege. Of those believers, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is uh, uh, neither male or female and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Since we are all one in Christ, none of those distinctions matter since we now have a new identity. As we review the pages of Scripture in the early church, we can clearly see that this one, uh, this one of the challenges, they, this is one of the challenges they faced. The church is not an extension of Judaism at all. The Father has a new plan and has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So <clears throat> this is to say that this command to love each other has some thoughts. So even though, sure, we covered the motivation, love, well, that's important, right? If you don't have that motivation, you can't fulfill the command anyway. So it is important that, one, you come to the knowledge of the truth, that you learn the Father's plan, that you come, as you're learning, as you're learning it, part of the Holy Spirit's fueling your will is to come to love it. And then as he sees your submission to it, he sheds abroad this love in our hearts. We've discussed this at length. And so there's no way I'm going to uh, cover it in detail again. I mean, we have the record. But what we want to understand is, as he, Jesus emphasizes it again, we want to talk about why and the emphasis. So let's look at it. <clears throat> so this is my command. We broke it into two phrases. So the command 
here. It's a, it's a different word, but the words are related. And they basically mean the same thing. That's what I'm saying in point B. Uh, there's a similar word in verse 12. And verse 12, <clears throat> let me get to 15. Uh, this is John 15. So in 12, he said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And here, in this command, he says, this is my command. Love each other. Obviously, it is important. I mean, for him to emphasize it. And we, we spoke about how it is... These two commands uh, are illustrated by the whole, you are my friend. Uh, greater love is no one if they lay down his life for, for his friends. You are my friend if you do what I command. And we, we saw how all that played out. That, so, so between those verses is this whole analogy about you are my friends. There's a special group of, of us. Uh, and we wouldn't say everybody's our friend. We would say there's a special group. And, and how does God define this special group? How does Jesus define it? By those who do or follow his commands and have the reason and motivation for that. Love. Right? Love would be the motivation. So there's this special group. Imagine you could be saved Right? You could have eternal life. But if you're in this age, you have this privilege of being said to be a friend of God. And that is by obeying his commands. Here, sandwiched in all of that is how you do it. Right, you're, If you do what I command, you're my friends. The Father has called you. He's appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And that's doing what he commands. And in all of that is love each other. So we've got to start making sure we look horizontally now. So we know we could love the Father's plan. We know we could love Christ. He's our Lord. He executed the plan. We saw him on the ground doing what he does. This, God the Holy Spirit who enlightens us. We can come to love all of them. But now, can we love each other? I think God is commanding that we love each other and it's this is the part of why we have these two verses that talk about love in this way it's not just repeating he's telling these are parting words remember everything has weight it, shortly jesus and we're talking hours jesus will be arrested and beaten and eventually the next day crucified. I mean, this is, as I said, parting words. So let's give them the weight that they deserve. So, um, so there, this is point B. There is, there is a similar word in verse 12, but the meaning is the same. Love each other. Stay together. Devoted to one another. Why? What is the motivation? And it is love. That's the idea. It's not just some motivation otherwise. There's a reasoning behind it. Point C. We are still on the battlefield, and these commands are relevant to our success. Right? And I already, we, I'm not going to cover this again, but uh, Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, 
right? It's, it's important that we see ourselves as those who may be suffering, who may be under duress, who may be persecuted. Uh, the world hates us. These are all things as to why um, it is important that we stay together. Who else in the world uh, is like us? Only fellow believers, members of the same body. We're, we, we're all we have. That's how we, we should say this. We are all we have. And if we don't love each other, then we certainly don't understand the Father's plan. And we can pick on the early first church and say, well, the Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews and God's going to bring them together. What in the world? It's going to be a mess. Well, it's going to be a church according to the Father's plan. That's what God had thought of before he created man. And here's the way in which he decided to bring us as those many sons into glory. It, this is it. This is the plan. Now, you might say, well, it doesn't make sense to me. And I don't understand why I got to be uh, in the same body with Gentiles or Jews. Or, you know, this was the whole thought. And people were criticizing the plan, not realizing that they were criticizing God. This is his plan. Let's see that as important to him. If you love him, then you will see that it is important to him. So these are relevant, right, and for us. We, we do not want to see these plans uh, or these, you know, injunctions uh, when he says, this is my command. We don't want to just look at that lightly. And we're not talking about the Ten Commandments either. This is, to me, so much higher than what the Ten Commandments could have brought uh, the people on earth. We are not of the world. So Jesus is giving us that thought. The world hates us. So we can know that the only love we're going to have is for not only what God has done, knowing we're executing the plan, but the fellow believers, the members together that are right horizontally in front of you. So, so point, uh, point D here, let's move forward. We have this command for a few reasons. This is three thoughts on why. What's the motivation, right? We said love. The first point is love, meaning we love the Father's plan deposited in Christ and made known to us by the Spirit of truth. And here is the last piece of it that he's saying, and we are to love each other. Now, loving each other is an, is an indication that you understand the Father's plan, that you see the Father's plan. It's not just, well, we just, God said we got to love you, so we love you. God loves us because he chose us in him. We're part of those, of that unique body called the church. So he loved us from eternity past when he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He, love means he, he's devoted to us. He preferred us. He selected us and to be in this plan. When it says that uh, Christ says, I'm abiding in the Father's love, that means he, he understands that the Father sent him into the world to be the Savior and to be the one on whom 
um, the eternal purpose will be fulfilled. He understood and he accepted that responsibility. And he even thought of it in terms of the Father's love. I'm abiding in his love. That's what he said. So do we see the Father loving us and, and our, the love that we have in, 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 uh, when we think about uh, reciprocally is to love him back, right? According to the things that he has loved us with. What, what has he loved us with? The responsibility, the plan, the choosing. What, how do we love him back? Obeying the command, doing what he says while we're on the ground. That's literally how it works. So, so love is each, as you see, the Father's plan, he deposited it in Christ. Now it's all about the Lord. We have the mind of Christ made known to us by the spirit of truth. He will take from what is mine. He will make it known to you. And then it says, love one another. That's the last piece of it. That's the visible piece of it. You may not see God the Father. You may not see the Spirit or, or Christ. They're, they're not here. But fellow believers are as a result of us coming together in one body, horizontally looking. Now, we're not looking at their shortcomings, but what are we seeing when we look at them? We're seeing the Father's offspring. We're seeing the result of the Father's eternal purpose. Let's keep going. Point number two. Satan, the god of this age, will attack us for sure. He is bent on destruction. Right? When we see uh, a couple verses, 1 Peter 5, 8, I will go there. You probably know it. <laughs> it's been a common passage. It says this. Well, um, is it? yeah, so it's 1 Peter why don't I put five, um, seven in there as well? So it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, again, you have anxiety means fear. Right? Unknown fear is the sense that something's about to happen, but you're not quite sure, so you're afraid. So cast all your anxiety on him. Because he cares for you, be alert and so, uh, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the, fam that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of grace who called you to, the, to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. steadfast. So, so notice, how do you reconcile this anxiety, right? Here it is. Be alert and know that you're in the world and you're on the battlefield. And the devil is looking for someone to take advantage of or someone to devour, using the lion metaphor. But really, it boils down to he can you can be compromised. It doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation, but what will you lose? 
you'll lose your reward. You'll lose your effectiveness in the world. Your, your spiritual calling will be diminished because Satan has you distracted by the world. So you ought to resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers, and here horizontally it's spoken, here again, throughout the world, and they're going through the same kind of sufferings we're going through. That's the reality of this. So that's the second point, is that Satan is there. And then going back to John 15, um, we have these verses which are in the context. Right? So John 15. So, and I believe I chose 18 and 19. There's These verses are coming up on, on uh, in the upcoming weeks here. So, so 19 and 20. So it's, if you belong to the world... It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. He's talking to the disciples, but by extension, he's talking to us too. Because we're in the world. And if you make all the moves that the world wants you to make, that Satan is interested in, in nullifying your testimony, then the world will love you as his own. <clears throat> the world doesn't see any difference between you serving uh, Christ and the world serving its the God of this world, the prince of this world. So you have to step out and serve Christ truly by abiding in him, by obeying his commands, by loving him, by loving fellow believers. Because by loving fellow believers, then you are identifying yourself with them and whatever sufferings or weaknesses or whatever it is they have. <clears throat> so these are, these are uh, great scriptures when we think about the command, love each other, as to why we need to be obedient toward them. It is because, you know, we're all we got, as we said. This is it. Believers, you're not even in the world anymore, but now you're here for a purpose. And the world's not going to like it. Point number three, while you may look fragmented, we may look fragmented and disoriented, we should know the church will prevail and be what God planned from eternity past. Uh, what are some of these scriptures? Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Well, let's take a look. Um, well, I think we know this one. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet. That's Christ. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the fullness, uh, the, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So when I think about this verse, what makes me think about is that God's vision for the church it will be fulfilled. We will be, uh, you know, when it comes to eternity, what God planned. From eternity past. He, he thought about it, he planned it, and he executed it. And now here we are, the church. Now, like I said, we may look disoriented, fragmented, but we will prevail. The church will be what God planned from eternity past. And then there's Ephesians 5. Since you're already in Ephesians, go to 5, 26 and 27. 
It says, uh, you know, it gives the analogy of husbands and wives. Right? I'll go to 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Notice what love does. Uh, it, it, and, but what else does it do? Verse 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's what we will be. It doesn't look like it now, right? When we think about the church, we think, in fact, we're, I was talking about last week, uh, I was a bit disappointed in how the church uh, maturation was going. And it looks like, you know, like Paul says, uh, surely you have heard about the administration of grace which was given to me for you. You can't say that today. If I say surely you have heard about it, then people will say, what is that? I don't know what you're talking about. But in Paul's day, he could he could write that and people could understand and be shaking their heads. Yeah. Tell us more. Tell us more, Paul. And that's not happening today. But no matter what, God is at work. And this is what's going to be uh, in the end. And if I were to continue with this thought, I would also include Ephesians 1, 4, right, where it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, and here, this last part, to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's what we're going to, I mean, we may not be finished. God is not finished with us in terms of our resurrection bodies. But when we get them, we can be sure that we will be holy and blameless in his sight. That, to me, speaks of who we are in Christ. What God has planned for us when he chose us in him. And this, this is a part of our destiny. So no matter what it looks, this is how God sees it. He sees the fragmentation. He's not blind to that. He sees where there's discord in the ranks. But he's, he knows that he's washing the church and will, through the word, and it will be what God designed. So this is important. So let's move on to point two. And I know, let's look at the time, yeah. So love each other. Right? So uh, this is my command. Love each other. So that's five points about love. Our love um, must have the proper motivation or else it will not have the proper direction. So when we think about that, we can't just assign any motivation we want for love. And I've seen people with ignorance as the motivation. God said we ought to love each other. I don't know why. I just know that love is good and and we just got to be kind to everybody. And No, that's not the point. We are here for a purpose. Love matches that purpose. So make sure that we have the proper motivation as we've been discussing or else we will not have the proper direction. We'll be going in the wrong direction. Point B, we are a unique group with a purpose that is different from Israel. New, never, never before seen, and now uh, 
uh, revealed as the Father's eternal purpose. And that's verse 11, Ephesians 3.11 says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. That's why we're here. So it's not what Israel was here for. I mean, God stopped Israel's clock in order to bring the church forward. And we're not to think of ourselves as Israelites or Jews. We are church. And there is in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, all those things that we already know are true of us. We, we are to see ourselves as those who are in Christ. So when it says love each other, all of that should come into play, just like it does for God the Father. When he loves us, he sees that we were Gentile or we, we were Jewish or we were, you know, had some uh, distinction that uh, was negative, slave or whatever, these things. We, God sees those things, but we, we ought to see that none of those things matter in terms of God's eternal purpose. God looks past all of that and he chose us to be in his son. Right? That's that's the fact. Point C, we are to love each other as Christ loved us. Now, this is the thought, right? We said, how did Christ love us? Well, he chose us as uh, the Father chose us in Christ. We saw that. Christ chose us in time, to, you know, like he did the disciples. He's, he chose each one of them just as the Father has directed him. So... Um, that's the idea. He, he loved us. Let's look at these verses just so we can see it contextually. John, go, if you go back to John 15, all the verses are there. So 15.12 says, My command is this. This is what Jesus says. Love each other as I have loved you. So notice, it's not it's the cascading love. is that Christ, the Father loved Christ. And Christ did exactly as the Father commanded him. Christ loved us, and we are to do exactly as Christ commanded us and the disciples here. And then we ought to love each other. So what does that mean? We're not giving commands to one another, but we ought to be devoted and rec with recognition that our fellow members, uh, we're one with them, and we are devoted to them. Right? We, we love them. We prefer them. So that's what it means to love each other, to recognize them just as the Father, Christ, and the Holy Spirit recognizes them. You know, we talked about this to some degree when we said how a lot of times people don't respect other gifts. They'll respect their own. I have the gift of so, of this, of that. But when it comes to looking at other people and seeing them as having special gifts and from the Spirit, for some reason... People are doubtful when it comes to that. And that is where we have to step up and say, wait, wait a minute. If I have a gift and that's a fellow believer, they have a gift too that I need to respect and come to acknowledge. And obviously I need it. It's not something I can say, well, yeah, he has a gift, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's not the thought. The thought is if he has a gift, it is for the common good. So let's get back to point C. We are to love each other. As Christ loved us, as we saw in verse 12, in the same way he loved the Father. And we go to verse 10 for that. 
verse 10 says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So notice, remain in his love, keep my Father's commands. So, so notice the same sort of thing we've been talking about, about this cascading love how it works all the way down to where we are and how we ought to look at each other now and recognize that we are the ones, uh, not only just me, but you are, are one of those who God has chosen from eternity past. We're to acknowledge each other in the same way, to come to have the same devotion. When we see God's work unfold in a person right next to us, so we ought to love each other in the same way they did. And our obedience and devotion should be toward those we love. Point D, John's teaching on this is key. I want to go to 1 John now. 1 John 4, 11 through 13. And here, just a couple of verses in John. Now, remember, as we said, John doesn't use the mystery as a, treat, a teaching aid, you know, to talk about church age doctrines. He, you know, he uses his own terminology if you're in him, and he uses that, but he doesn't talk about the mystery. Paul uses the mystery so that he can distinguish us from Israel. And and it, to me, it works really well. So I, I'm going to use all three. But here, looking at it from John's perspective, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So this is just his reasoning. Watch. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, this is it. God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So this, this is the obligation that we have. First, we've got to come to know the truth. But then he says, in our living, notice he's going to show us something about love. And he remembers he was standing right there when Jesus gave this command, love one another. This literally is part of how he understood it. He said, if we love one another, verse 12, God lives in us. This is part of... When he says God lives in us, what he means by that is he's given recognition to the fact that God lives in us, but he is manifesting. He is not just living in us, but he's manifesting in us in this way, causing us to br bring our love to, be, to completion or maturity. So in John's mind, our love has levels of growth. It's made complete, right? For some, it's not, right? But for others who understand this and are living it, allowing God to live this through them, he says our love is made complete. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. That's the mutual possession. John certainly understands it, and he's on top of it. And he's, he's saying this is how we can know this, literally on the ground how that works because of our love uh, for one another. This is how it can work. Because Remember we went through that whole thing where we says, well, 
if you love the one, if Jesus says, if you don't love the one who sent me, well, then you don't love me. Uh, because the one who sent me, you know, that that's indication that you love me by you accepting the one who sent him. In fact, every one of us on the ground have been sent by God. So our response to each other is not just <clears throat> about whether or not we... <clears throat> Sorry, hold on. <clears throat> so our response to one another is not just about how we love God, but how we love God's plan. God's plan is right in front of you in the believers that are here. That's what he's saying. I mean, literally, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. This is how God living us will be manifested. This is how it looks on the ground. And this, he says in verse 13, because he has given us of his spirit. That's where we get the love from. The love is not generated by you. It is an acknowledgement that you love, that you understand and you love the Father's plan. And then the fruit of that plan, you also love. So if I know my next point goes into chapter five, right? I know it. So that's the last point, which is an understanding of our love for one another and its motivation. Let's look at this again. He says it again in a different way in chapter five. Let's go to First John chapter five. And this is just in verses 1 and 2. So he says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So in, in that verse right there, literally, it is saying what we've been talking about. Just I like John's way of cutting to the chase right here. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ, born of God, you're saved. And everyone who loves the Father, now this is a different thing here, loves his child as well. That's the way we express it. Now, I say we express it, but really it is God in us expressing his will for his eternal plan. So point number, uh, or verse two says, this is how we know that we love the children of God. And here it is, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So there it is. John is saying, I remember when Jesus was giving us this discourse, and this is what he emphasized. This is how we know, by loving God and carrying out his commands. There, there it is. These things are tied together. It's not well, we love them because of you fill in the blank. We love them because uh, they're poor or needy or something. We love them because we understand who we are and we understand who they are. And this connection that we have, and that is the fruit of the Father's plan, the fact that we are members together of one body. So this is not something, like I said, we manufacture. We can't. Um, this is something that God manufactures in us. All we are is willing vessels 
willing to submit to the Father's plan. That's all we can do. We can't make ourselves love somebody any more than we could show joy by smiling. That's not how you show joy. Uh, I mean, that's not literally what God is talking about when he talks about that our joy may be complete. Just some people will say, that means I have to put a smile on my face. Well, same thing here. This command requires God the Holy Spirit bringing us to a point where he is able to shed love abroad in our hearts. And that love is not only vertical, but is horizontal. That is the fruit of God the Father's eternal purpose. We, we will have to end as we uh, will get into some verses that talk about the world and hatred. Remember, that was one of the reasons why we know that love and these commands are important. Right? Otherwise, the disciples would not have been together. There would have been no church. Uh, God is saying their willingness to submit the fact that they would bear fruit, and fruit that will last. It has lasted, I must testify, down to uh, January 10th, 2021. Let's quit. We're, we're, we'll, we'll continue next week in the context. Uh, we have run out of time. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. Uh, we are so glad to be on the battlefield. As we talked about earlier, it's a privilege, it's an honor to serve in this manner. But we understand there is danger all around us. We know that uh, there are casualties. It is, after all, a world that hates us. So we know there may be suffering as a result of our being here. But we accept that and know that we are accomplishing something that is far greater than anything we could ever do or know, and that is your plan. So we didn't, it's not our plan, it is your plan. We just uh, have adopted it as well. Your eternal purpose is our eternal purpose. And we, it is our objective to walk worthy of the calling to which we have received. So we thank you for those who are on the call. We thank you for, um, the forum that we have, that we can talk about these important matters. And so we pray that you would continue to bring us together as we go throughout this year um, so that we can explore what you have for us in the scriptures. All of, the, all of these things we ask in Christ's name for his sake. Amen. 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 Amen.